Welcome to this week's Fit for Purpose podcast. This week I'm talking to Steve Morales. He's the chief exec of Co-op. It's probably an organization most of us have come across at one point or another. For me, it's the co-op outside East Putney Station that I regularly used to nip in very late at night on my way back from Parliament. But I think it's an organization that has had a place in British society for a long, long time. But also, crucially from my perspective, working with us on the Leveling Up Goals. Steve, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. It's probably worth starting off with just a recap on what the co-op does, how much it does in a sense, and and this wider mission that you've always had actually to to play this much bigger role in in communities. Hi, Justine. Great to be here with you. yeah, let's give you a bit of background on the co-op. So I'm not sure everybody would know this, but we are over 175 years old. We were formed back in uh, the good old days of 1844, something that was originally started by the Rochdale pioneers, who you and some of your listeners may have heard of in the past. Um, and they came together to um, face into adulterated food. They were finding that um, too much food was being uh, uh, changed. Uh, Instead of yeast, um, chalk was used going into bread. And it it spurned arguably one of the greatest movements um, of the decade and and a movement that's continued to be with us um, right up to 2021. So uh, I always say uh, that the co-ops Um, It's not just a business, Justin, it's the way that we do business that's important. Um, So in that regard, I think people should see us as a movement. We are owned by four and a half million people, um, people like you and I that can join for a pound. Um, And our focus is not only about running successful businesses, but in running successful businesses, making sure that we can do more social good uh, in our communities up and down uh, the country. And, um, you know, I'm sure we'll get into the conversation, but education, levelling up, uh, mental well-being, loneliness, um, all of these social mobility issues that are faced by everybody plays very much to the purpose and the vision of the co-op today, and equally would have played back, I'm sure, uh, to our beginning back in 1844. I mean, it's an incredible story, actually, of the co-op's longevity, really. But I think the reason it's it's still with us today and thriving, more than just still with us, is thriving, is because of that mission. I, I think it's because you have always stood for more than just being another retailer, for example, um, in my case, who I I buy stuff from. I think there has always been that broader purpose, but it's probably worth just talking a little bit about how you bring that alive. I, I'd love to talk about what, what you're doing inside the co-op on sure, careers sure. And, and that side of it, but, but let's first of all talk about what that community work looks like to co-op because it's it's extensive isn't it yes and and again see us as seeking to put more back in uh, than we take out and therefore 
the, 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 the more successful we can run our businesses in food, funeral care, legal services, energy and insurance, the, the, the more value we could put back into community life, Justine. And, you know, since 2016, when we repurposed our uh, membership and our real focus in, in communities under a vision of cooperating for a fairer world, we've been able to put the um, 100 million pounds back into uh, local life, supporting 25,000 um, small enterprises, small charities, small businesses. Uh, and in some regards, Justine, that's been the difference from those um, causes um, going out of business or surviving. And, you know, after a very long 15 years of austerity, uh, that, that money has been so welcomed by um, small causes up and down the country but it but as you say um it goes much deeper than that as far as we're concerned many people wouldn't realize that we um have a have an academies trust that stands over 28 academies in the northwest of the country uh in the next 12 to 18 months we will get that up to 40 academy schools where between 35 and 40,000 young school children from primary, um, junior and secondary go to school in a co-op uniform, learn co-op values and ethics, and then join a thousand apprenticeship pipeline to see their uh, opportunities and careers grow. And one of the very satisfying things about the schools academies is that, um, we take these schools on from um, uh, the uh, Department of Education, schools that were failing, and we're, we're able, with great teaching, um, under the um, uh, leadership of Chris Tomlinson, the CEO, to turn failing schools into successful schools, to see absence dramatically drop, to see results dramatically improve. But more importantly, see the community improve because the kids aren't uh, in gangs or on drugs mm -hmm. or getting um, uh, up to mischief. They're in the safe haven of the school, learning, um, developing. And in some of the schools, and I know you've been to a few, Justine, you know, we have 50 different um, uh, languages, um, one uh, being Mongolian. And whenever I go around the schools, you know, I always leave thinking, goodness, if I could chip all of the kids, they're super bright. Um, and one of the things that we can do is then create these, these pathways for them, um, these opportunities to come into um, our organization and, and um, take on a great career. And I, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it, but I think it, it's um, important for all businesses to get a lot closer to the education system um, and interestingly going back to those causes that we help those 25,000 causes a lot of our energy has been around inclusion um, since the tragic death of um, uh, George Floyd in, in uh, the USA that that's seen us really start to 
move from uh, an, a non-racist organization to an anti-racist organization to really understand what it means to be a person of color and from an, uh, an ethnic minority background and to start to plan how we become a greater reflection of the society that we serve. And in helping those causes now, over half of those causes actually um, have an ethnic minority uh, group to it. So that, that's, um, I've for long felt that the color of your skin or even the background um, of your birth and where you grew up shouldn't dictate the life chances that you have uh, as a young person. And, you know, uh, you will have seen this in, in your previous cabinet roles, but I, I think the UK is, is awash with talent, but we know that the opportunity isn't as evenly spread. So we're able um, to start to make a real difference for um, young people in um, putting our funding into causes that will help them, but also into academy schools. Um, and um, one of the other things that we've been able to do is uh, what we call our matchmaking program, where instead of giving um, all of the apprenticeship levy money back to the treasury, we, we've now with the treasury um, set up a program of match funding mm -hmm. where we can take a top slice of that money that would have been returned and put it into a pot for small businesses to apply for the money as long as they take on apprentices from a chosen area of our choice. So for the co-op, it was very much around ethnic minority backgrounds. Um, we put half a million into the pot and now local businesses are taking on uh, young students of color as apprentices, which they wouldn't. But we then called on everybody else to join the scheme I think the pot currently sits at around five, six million, and um, we'd like to get that to about 10. And I think really important for, for um, you know, we have to walk the talk. So it, not only calling out the right issues around social mobility and leveling up and fairness, which frankly is how I look at this whole issue, but then put in place programs and pathways that really do unlock those opportunities so that we're actually um, really making a difference as, as well as helping others start to face into these important issues. I think it's, it's real leadership and at a time when it, it really matters. And I think often you can hear people who perhaps run big organisations talk about why issues matter and, and often agree with them. But I think, you know, sometimes that doesn't always translate into action. I think what's really inspiring about what the co-op's been doing is how, you know, for some time now, you've rolled up your sleeves and run towards some of these key issues. I had a chance to, to go to the co-op Walkden Academy and I met Matt Hacker, who's the principal and his team. And it genuinely was, was not only fantastic, but really interesting to hear them talk about how they had started to sort of focus on making sure that was a school that, if you like, closed gaps that otherwise opened up during the education system. And, and so interestingly, they focused not just on perhaps more disadvantaged young, young people and, and the pupils they had and, and what they could do to, if you like, progress them on academics, but also you know, wider experiences. 
but they'd also focused on, you know, maybe some of those slightly quieter young people who weren't at all ones that teachers would necessarily think we need to give them more support, but equally weren't necessarily going to shine without a bit more, without a bit more help and maybe confidence building. And, you know, I just thought that sense of effectively, it was a strategy of inclusion, because what it was saying is wherever you are in that school, you know, there needs to be a clear cut strategy for helping you to, to, to reach your potential. And, and to, to that extent, it was genuinely, I think, playing its role, playing its role on levelling up. And I guess what you're saying, Steve, is A, that's in and of itself a huge contribution, but B, it starts to provide also brilliant young people who will thrive in life, but also some of them will come on board in the in the co-op. And it, it's probably worth just talking a little bit about um the career progression within the co-op because it's one of those sectors isn't it that is incredibly open to lots of people so it can be a real engine of social mobility and tell us a little bit about how you make sure that becomes a real thing for the people who do end up working in working in your organization yeah it's it's, um it always fascinates me when i um walk into the classrooms and and um talk to the, the the kids about uh what they think it would be like working for the co-op and, and for most of them they, they they think we're a food business rather than mm-hmm. the largest funeral care provider in the country the largest yeah. probate um provider a very big insurer um uh, but, but interestingly that they they think well um it, it's just about putting the shelves then isn't it and i and i you know we have these great conversations which is oh my goodness um, if you want to be a buyer and travel the world, join the co-op. If, if you want to be uh, an architect or a surveyor, join the co-op. Um, if you want to make a difference in communities and, and help your, your neighbour, join the co-op. If you want to be a marketeer uh, and, and work with the biggest agencies in the country, join the co-op, uh, and so on and so on. And, you know, I recall my journey that... that um, would have started um, whilst I was doing my A-levels as a student at Sainsbury's pushing trolleys on a Saturday. Um, and through hard work, but through um, working with some incredible leaders, I, I find myself now running um, the, the group here in the UK, um, you know, a 10, 11 billion pound organisation, 170 odd thousand colleagues across five, six different uh, businesses. And and, uh, there are very few uh, businesses or organizations that I think uh, allow you to keep on learning and developing and getting more responsibility. Um, You know, we're sat here in, or I am in in Manchester, the home now of probably um, the tech industry. Um, how digital is shaping the thinking of all of my businesses is intent uh, is, is intense and and I think you know for all those young entrepreneurs that have got a real digital wizardry about them join the co-op so as a career it, it's um, uh, rich with opportunity but that would be the same with with other organizations and I think one of the important things is that PLCs are now starting to realize 
that it can't just be about shareholder return. They do have a responsibility to put back something into the communities that, um, that they work in. And that's a good thing. And so, um, you know, I, I tend to focus my, my um, uh, interests outside of running these businesses in four areas, in community and well-being, in climate, in inclusion and in youth. But obviously, as a cooperative, I will be attempting to cooperate and partner um, and um, encourage all businesses, whether they be co-ops, social enterprises, PLCs, um, to face into um, the social needs of the country. You know, it's been tough, hasn't it? Uh, emotionally tough during COVID for those people who have lost loved ones, for those businesses that have really struggled, for those businesses that have remained open um, on the back of 10, 15 years of austerity and now facing some more challenges that, that, that we have in front of us around the dislocation of supply chain and the, the workforce. But what COVID I think did was to shine a light on, on the unfairness in our society and how the gap was widening. And as you say, um, how that was really starting to affect the young people. Um, I think you co-op did research, didn't you, into this? We did, uh, yes. That, that uh, you released. One of the largest pieces of uh, post-pandemic bit of research, I think this, that's uh, taken place. We interviewed 5,000 young people from uh, 10 to 25, and we talked to them about their life aspirations, Justine, and worryingly, what they told us was that they felt completely disengaged and um, not listened to. Mm -hmm. Now, bear in mind, this will be the generation that picks up the national debt. Um, they are our future. We can't, uh, as we've called it, allow this ghosted generation to not be heard. Um, we, we can't let their worries play out in the way that, that they think they might. And I could have felt one of the, the really striking things about the research as well was, I mean, getting on for two thirds of the young people you talk to actually said they felt that they would be permanently disadvantaged by what had happened during the pandemic. And, you know, just to have this sense that this thing has happened to you and it's going to be impossible for you to ever be able to bounce back from it is it's a staggering indictment really isn't it on the fact that it doesn't feel like it's a fairer version of Britain where actually you can kind of start to recover that lost ground and I think it underlines why we need to focus on this issue of leveling up actually because it's not just going to fix itself is it no and it's it's you're right it's a shockwave um and, and, and we 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 need to open uh, our eyes and pin our ears back and face into it. And this is where business, I think um, government and local leaders do need to come together. Um, I, I'm a strong advocate of um, the energy around vocational training um, as a far better way to um, create more life opportunities for young people. I think it's very noble that the way we've faced into opportunities as 
to try and pull as many disadvantaged kids through to university. We should keep doing that, but I think the real prize is about um, creating these much scalable, wider job opportunities through vocational programs yeah. and schemes, um, because it, it's a it's an issue that that we heard coming through loud and clear. And as you, you say, um, a, a belief that that there isn't a way out. There is a way out. There has to be a way out. It would be great, wouldn't it? Um, if somehow we could get the voice of young people around the cabinet table um, uh, that, that, that's there speaking the, uh, the truth of what young people need and what they want. Um, and, and I think as those who have become informed from the piece of research are starting to say there's a realization that we absolutely do have to face into this and work together uh, in order to change what is a very depressing outlook that, that they have. Um, we haven't talked about uh, access to food for young people. Uh, the Marcus Rashford um, mm -hmm. activity that, that quite rightly has focused on making sure uh, all children get access to food. You know, I'm a great believer that if you're eating properly, then you're, you're going to be mentally at your best. And, and we interestingly, um, strongly with him. Interestingly, one of the things I, I was able to also see in Manchester was the community fridge project that you you help yeah. sort of make happen, which which is across the country actually. But it's all about good, great, nutritious, fresh food because often, even when you know food banks have um, food, often it's um, you know it's food that can be stored, and that's understandable. But actually, act access to fresh food that you can make meals with is, is crucial as well. And that's part of what you've also been focusing on, I know. Yes, and you know, you can, uh, data is so helpful here. You know, the, the data tells us that, um, that those children that are well-nourished um, do better. Um, that those children who, are, who uh, at the moment um, come from uh, difficult backgrounds are uh, children of color, um, find, find opportunity that much harder. So the data's there, as, as you alluded to, um, we have also what we call a well-being index that um, takes us into 28,000 locations up and down the country uh, and gives us a, a laser view on the health of that community from uh, the opportunity of jobs, from unemployment, um, from um, uh, illness, et cetera, uh -huh. in order for us to kind of know where we need to um, put our energies to try and make a real difference. And, you know, the Hubbard Fridges was a great case in point. We'll, we've, uh, we're now partnering with Hubbard. We'll have 200 fridges by the end of next year. Um, and we, we think that, well, we don't think we know that will make a profound difference to food that would have been wasted. I think something like 7 million free meals of waste wouldn't now happen as a consequence of us putting that waste to good use in fridges up and down the country. And it's been a fantastic initiative. And I met this incredible woman who was part of uh, a church in Moss Side, uh, Wendy. She basically ran this project 
and had used it as a way to not only get fresh fruit food to people who who wanted it and needed it during the pandemic but also it had been a brilliant vehicle to get people to be able to volunteer and for those who were maybe further away from being able to to get into work actually using that project as a stepping stone actually to to sort of build up confidence and to be able to to contribute to a wider community so for me I think what was inspiring about it was it was a lot more than than just the food even and I guess for your community well-being index I mean people can find that if they google it can't they and they can literally put in their their postcode pretty much and see what it tells them about their own locality that they live in. It's for free I mean that that's again something that that, that the co-op does and hopefully those listening will will go and um, look it up it's it's there for everybody to use um, and we track those that use it and I think those that have used it are amazed by how useful and helpful and how accurate it really is. It's a quality piece of insight. And um, we know that it's starting to make a real difference. Um, and of course, all of this really is, is about culturally how the co-op thinks. You know, I've always said culture eats strategy for breakfast. Um, we have a clear vision cooperating for a fairer world, but we also have a clear purpose, which is championing uh, a better way of doing business for you and your community. There's a real thread uh, of uh, our culture that's now starting to play out in community life. You know, th- this isn't charity, this is community. Um, and the more I can encourage other organizations to um, work collaboratively, come on board, make a real difference, then um, that's what a co-op should, should, should be about. And, you know, we haven't talked about climate or COP26, but in, in my capacity as the chair of the British Retail um, Climate Roadmap, there's real collaboration going on between retailers about how we uh, must act now, how we've got to bring down our carbon emissions. Um, and uh, work together on probably the biggest challenge in front of all of us. I think there's a real parallel between, if you like, the, the planet solutions and people, because they, they are both complex and have lots of different elements, but they both require people really being able to work across, you know, whether it's government, whether it's business, whether it's civil society, because you're not just going to fix it by working in a silo, essentially, are you? No, you're not. And it's um, it can't be a case of my plans better than your plan. What what you need is common um, solutions to common problems. Um, uh, And more and more, I see that uh, I'm pleased to say I see that happening um, across society. Um, But coming together, I think, you know, we've talked a lot about how government plays its part with Metro mayors and business uh, as a real unlock uh, of what, you know, of some of the big things that that we need to take on. I think it's a really interesting point. Um, And I think in a way it's why I think a lot of this change is being driven, if you like, quite organically by by organisations and individuals and, and businesses just steadily coming together. But I think, Steve, you mentioned about how your career in retail grew 
and obviously being hugely successful and there's long a long career to go as well but tell us a little bit about that journey you know I should confess I too began my kind of working life um, but I was in Morrison's in the local calf that was part of the the supermarket I learned a huge amount actually Um, I don't think I had any sense of just how diverse the opportunities are in retail I, I wish I had you know when I look back on it um, but tell us about your journey and, and how you end up in this amazing role now. So I, I've, um, I've certainly been in food retailing consistently for the last 35 years. Um, in, in my current role here, that's obviously expanded into financial services and um, some of the caring um, areas of business. But uh, I've I've been blessed with with what I hope I do for young people, Justine, and and that's opportunity, um, where people have seen something in me, have opened doors for me, um, have encouraged me to take a leap um, and move forward. Um, And I've learned so much from incredible people who uh, have had the time um, an encouragement to help shape me as, as an individual. I think um, whatever you do, um, staying humble is really important. I think being authentic to yourself and, and how you operate is absolutely critical. Um, and, you know, good people want to work for good people. And, and I've been very fortunate enough to work with some incredible retailing icons like John Sainsbury, Terry Leahy, and Leighton, uh, John Gildersley. The, these are um, huge characters that, that have, have certainly passed through my uh, work time. Uh, and many of them remain as wise owls and people that you go and talk to when you, you need to bounce ideas off. But, but I think in all, in, in all these things, if businesses can create opportunities, which they must do, and back um, people to uh, go and do a good job, probably before they even believe that they can do it themselves, um, it, it, it's a great sense of uh, achievement. Um, it's, it's hard work. It's challenging. Certainly in this role, um, it's far more diverse than, than many others. We've talked about education. Uh, we've talked about uh, leveling up, social mobility, um, as well as running uh, a number of very big businesses. So your your bandwidth, your general management leadership, uh, is tested every day. Um, that that and that's great. You know that that's refreshing, fulfilling. Um, but the biggest thing is to see people succeed around you. To see um, people get further than they thought they could do to have some fun and we need to get some fun back into business but to have some fun uh, along the way um, and I've been very lucky that that, that certainly um, enabled me to get on and then I try and put um, what I can back in to do the same for, for hundreds of other people as well. It's really interesting and one final quick question if you had some advice almost to give to a much younger Steve, you know, perhaps pushing those, those trolleys around, 
about you know that that future and how to make the most of it what what do you think it would be do you know i'd i'd encourage them to take a bit of a risk justine mm-hmm. write write an email to the ceo of, ev- of every company that you're interested in um I- i'm sure you get a response i've had it done to me uh i've had 16 year olds 17 year olds 18 year olds in in, in manchester for an hour just talking to them because they reached out um, and, and some have joined the company as a consequence. Mm-hmm. Go and do something brave. Um, no, nobody will um, will hold it against you for being a bit cheeky. Um, have an idea, but put yourself out there. You, you will get caught. Um, someone will, will be able to get their arm around you and pull you in. So, um, I'd, I'd encourage people to take a little bit of a risk. Brilliant advice. You've got to you've got to just maximise the chance that you can end up finding those opportunities. Look, Steve, it's been fantastic having you on the podcast. We're just absolutely delighted to be working with the co-op um, for all of the reasons that you you've really so effectively set out today. It's been an absolute pleasure, Steve Morales from Co-op. Thanks very much. Thanks, Justine.